Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. Hello, my beautiful podcast listeners. You're hearing from me in the middle of the week, which is highly unusual. I typically only release one episode a week, but I do have a couple of little announcements that I wanted to pop in and talk to you about. Have you ever wished that you could call into the podcast and hear your voice or ask me a question and hear my thoughts about something that you're struggling with? Well, now you can. If you visit www.backfromtheborderline.com slash voicemail, it will take you to a page where you can actually record me a voicemail up to 90 seconds long, and that can be asking me a question. It could even be just sharing how the podcast has changed your life just to get the chance to hear your voice on the podcast episodes. That is a possibility now. And I just announced this to my Instagram followers last night, and I've already received some voicemails. And I wanted to play one of them today and answer this listener's question on this episode. But you can certainly hope to hear more of these types of episodes moving forward once I start receiving more questions. So something I wanted to let you know is that my premium subscribers' voicemails will get prioritized first. So if you're a premium subscriber, please go ahead and submit your questions because you will get first dibs. But for all my other listeners, please, please, please reach out as well because your questions will get answered too. So something that I want you to do is when you send me a voicemail, make sure you open your message with your name, your age, and the location that you're calling from. If you want to use an alias or a fake name, that's okay. Just know that the tool that records the voicemail in my website does require you to put a name and an email address in. So know that I'll never share your email address with anyone else and I won't share your name. I will only play what you record into the voicemail on the podcast. So I can't wait to start getting your questions. Think about what you want to ask me and go to the website and record away. I can't wait to hear from you. You can also find the voicemail feature by going to my Instagram. And if you're not following me on Instagram already, what are you doing? Because lots of good stuff goes on. I post behind the scenes stuff on my stories all the time. And you can follow me at Back From The Borderline. And I have a highlight on my Instagram profile called Call Me. And you can click that. And you can also find the link to leave me a voicemail that way. Today, I'm also going to be playing you a snippet of the bonus episode for my premium subscribers that I just uploaded today. So if you loved this week's episode with Dr. Alexandra Solomon, where we talked all about sex and intimacy, you're going to love this episode because I did an hour and a half long deep dive for my premium subscribers all about how many of us are struggling with complex trauma 
and how we tend to use sex and intimacy as an unhealthy coping mechanism and how this can actually be a form of self-abandonment and re-traumatization. So in the full episode, we will talk extensively about compulsive sexual behavior and hypersexuality, the connection between personality disorders and compulsive sexual activity, sexual masochism, or what I like to call sex as self-harm and its many forms that it can take, the traumatic roots of BPD and complex trauma, and the dangers of sex work when we're not fully healed from our own trauma. And I go into detail about sugar daddies, only fans, prostitution, etc. My own experience with sex work, the experience of my friends, and lots of stuff I found on Reddit about that. So what you'll be hearing today is a two-part little bonus for you. First, I'm going to play one of the voicemails I received from a listener last night and answer her question. And then I'm going to be finishing this off with a sneak peek of that bonus episode that's available for my premium subscribers. So I hope you enjoy this little midweek treat. I will be back on Monday with a normal free episode for all of you, but my premium subscribers are growing. I can't believe how many of you signed up for premium subscriptions and I just launched this last week. So I want to give a huge shout out to those subscribers. If you can, please do subscribe. You're going to be getting lots of juicy content like this and I will occasionally be dropping portions of premium episodes so that you can see what you will get if you join my premium subscriber tier. So let's take a listen to a voicemail that I received last night from a listener. Hi, Molly. My name is Kelly. I'm 29. I live in Virginia. I am also diagnosed with borderline personality disorder as well as CPTSD. So your podcast has been a godsend for me. My question today is how do we move from a place of awareness of issues to a place of action because I feel in between I feel very aware of what is going on why it's going on even but I spend so much energy thinking and I don't know exactly how to take action yeah so thank you and love your podcast so much well first and foremost I just want to say hi Kelly <laughs> And thank you for the love you're sharing about the podcast. I also have BPD traits, as you know, as well as CPTSD. We are absolutely in the same boat there. First, I just want to validate how you're feeling because I can't tell you enough how much I relate to what you're going through. You mentioned struggling to move from that place of awareness to a place of action. I feel like for all of us, there's that phase of what I've described before as that I'm the problem moment and going, oh shit, I am contributing so much to the chaos in my life and looking deeply into my childhood and realizing the areas of emotional abandonment and emotional neglect and even just realizing the emotionally immature aspects of my parents, and they would admit that as well today, I'm sure. All parents are imperfect, but it's still important to look back and analyze these things 
from a 1,000-foot view and not personalize it, right? Because all of our parents were born in a generation where there were just limited mental health resources. And so I try my best to give compassion and understanding to my parents now, but it took me a long time to get to that point. There is a healthy anger phase. But where you're at in the phase that you're describing is this this phase of being aware of what you're doing, but feeling like maybe no change is happening. And I'm going to tell you, I'd love you to give yourself compassion. It can be so easy to be a really rigid taskmaster on ourselves in this quote-unquote recovery journey. We always want the results, quote-unquote, I'm going to say quote-unquote a million times, we want the results to be faster. We have this finish line we feel like we need to get to. But I want you to slow down and congratulate yourself for even the monumental step that you've taken of even being aware. And that is, I would say, more than half the battle. Most people, even people who would just probably, the field of psychiatry would consider neurotypical and people that never end up in a therapist's office, So many people never even get to the stage of awareness of their coping mechanisms, the ways they numb themselves emotionally. They just move through the matrix of life and don't address anything and just adhere to societal norms and continue to think that other people in the world is a problem and they don't do any of that inner work. So I want to just give you such a huge shout out for what you've already achieved. It's so important that you give yourself that credit. Now, I can say though, right, it's just as important to take a beat (laughs) and realize that being aware is, is in fact only half of the battle too. And so I made a post on Instagram last night and your question is like perfect timing with this Instagram post. And I want to read you the Instagram post. If you follow me, you may have already seen it, but it reflects this perfectly. So I put on Instagram, hard to swallow pill. Your addiction to doom scrolling mental health IG content might just be another avoidance tactic you're using to help you justify not making a genuine effort to change your thoughts and psychological defenses. Big oof, I know. I'm calling myself out here too. You're not alone. It can be so easy to get caught up saving Instagram carousels offering quick fixes like 10 ways to stop X. Five signs you've with a toxic partner. Four reasons you might be experiencing insert symptom here. While content like this can be incredibly helpful and certainly serves its purpose, there's no substitution for deep inner work. Eventually, you have to dive beneath the surface, and quite frankly, not many people do. Each of us must bravely look at the patterns, thoughts, behaviors, reactions, and psychological defenses we're repeating in our lives that might be contributing to our own discomfort. This is not to negate the very real presence of systemic issues and generational trauma that impact some of the most vulnerable among us. These must be taken seriously and addressed too. However, if we neglect to look within and begin the hero's journey, an inner alchemy that the human experience demands of us, we're committing the most egregious act of self-abandonment imaginable. Why I'm sharing this post with you is because I don't know and I can only speculate, but Maybe you're like me in the fact that you were overwhelming yourself with psychological research and what I like to call the BPD one, two, three posts on Instagram, where it's like five signs you have BPD. 
five reasons you might be this. You know, these kinds of posts, when we overload ourselves with information, we forget to just sort of start baking this stuff into our everyday life. So to answer your question and how we can take it from a place of awareness to action, which is what you asked, is what are you doing in your everyday life when you feel triggered or when I feel like what I describe as the BPD or CPTSD bail goes across my eyes, like all of a sudden I just feel not okay. Are you just numbing out and forgetting that or are you stopping what you're doing, sitting with yourself and really saying, what's coming up for me right now? Am I really unsafe? My, my nervous system is telling me that I'm not safe right now, but I am safe. Are you actively reparenting yourself, self-soothing yourself in the day? Think about yourself as a little traumatized child and treat yourself accordingly. I know that might sound nuts, but if you go from this rigid taskmaster of being like, how do I actually put this into practice? I'm not, I'm not recovering well enough. I'm not doing this well enough. If you are a recovering perfectionist and people pleaser like me, switch that narrative around and start treating yourself like the traumatized inner child that you really are. If you are feeling emotionally overwhelmed, turn off all the stimuli around you if you can. Get into a quiet place and say, I'm feeling really nervous right now. Name the feelings. Say, my heart is beating fast. My shoulders are hunched. I, my throat is dry. I feel like I want to yell at someone. Name these things to yourself and then say, I'm safe. I'm no longer in danger anymore. I am my own divine parent and I am okay in this moment. And give yourself that self-soothing. Now, another thing that helped me go from a place of awareness to a place of action and actually is realizing that for me, spiritual content and spirituality have actually been 10 times more healing than mental health-based content. And I've talked about this ad nauseum in the podcast before, but I felt similarly to you where I was like, okay, I know that I'm fucked up. I know that I'm traumatized. I know that I have BPD traits. I have all these symptoms. Now what? And spiritual content is healing me 10 times more than psychological content because I feel like all that I got from, you know, BPD research and CPTSD research, it only got me to the point of realizing, okay, there's an issue and the issue is with me and the issue developed in these areas of my life. But I really got to the place where I was like you, where I'm like, okay, now what? Spirituality was the key for me. And I have, I dove into philosophers like Rumi, I highly recommend looking at Rumi, people like Eckhart Tolle, people like Byron Katie, Carolyn Miss. Find the spiritual teachers and leaders that can speak to your soul. For me, when I was in the position that you were in, I was deprived of spiritual thought and belief. I dove into the tarot. I dove into the hero's journey. Google the hero's journey and start reading up on that. Read about the major arcana tarot cards and the hero's journey in that, in that aspect. As I've said in previous episodes before, I do not believe that the tarot predicts the future. I believe that reading about it, I believe in the 
healing nature of symbolism and archetypes. And that brings me to another aspect. Carl Jung and his work and reading about the archetypal nature of humans, that whole area of psychology, that stuff was healing for me. Because then I started to just transform the way that I looked at myself and looked at others and just the entire experience of being human. And rather than being where you might be at now, where I was sitting there being like, okay, now what? Now what do I do? How do I structure my day so that I'm not a hot mess anymore? Reading about this stuff, nourishing myself spiritually in this way is almost creating a natural healing within me that is just making me a more centered and grounded person. I just don't feel as triggered by things as I used to. And I had to get passionate about it. It's something that you have to bake into your everyday life. Now, another really helpful exercise is sitting down and deciding, what are your values? Do you know what your core values are? What are your morals? And just Google core values and how to decide your core values. So many of us that struggle with sense of self and identity, we never had parents growing up that talked to us about core values and morals. So sit down and decide what are your core values. Some of mine you, I've talked about on the podcast, honesty, integrity. I struggled for a really long time with honesty. I was not a very honest person. And I realized that a lot of that came from my desperate need to people please, for people to like me. So I ended up compulsively lying a lot about things that I really never should have lied about and it made me feel like shit. So now, honesty, radical honesty, self-compassion, integrity. Find out what your core values are. Just Google a list of core values. Look at them. Pick which, look, Google them, read about them. And then I have mine written on my refrigerator on a dry erase board. And start trying to live your life in alignment with those core values. It makes it a lot easier. Say, for instance, if integrity, honesty, and self-compassion are your three. And start with three, maybe. Because if you have this like long list of 12, that's another thing that I tried to do. I was like, I want all of them. <laughs> it's really hard. Start small. Start with three. Write them on your refrigerator. Get one of those pens that you can write on your bathroom mirror. You can get them on Amazon and write on your bathroom mirror somewhere that you're looking all the time and remind yourself to live in accordance with those. And then automatically by living, making every decision that you make, if it's aligned with those core values, I think you're going to start feeling more of a sense of peace. You're going to feel less of this feeling of not being able to quote unquote take action as you described. So Kelly, thank you for sending me this voicemail. You are so loved and seen by me. I know exactly how you're feeling, girl. <laughs> I feel you. I know where you're at. And be patient with yourself. As I said at the beginning of this, you are already so far ahead. The fact that you're aware of these things is such an accomplishment. So I hope that answering this question for you today gives you some food for thought. If you follow me on Instagram, DM me and let me know if this answer was helpful for you. And for those of you listening, go to backfromtheborderline.com slash voicemail if you would like to hear your voice played on the podcast and to hear me answer your question. What you're about to hear next, as I mentioned before, is a snippet of this week's episode for my premium subscribers. 
So without further ado, I'm going to fade in to a portion of this episode, and then it is going to fade out at a time when you are probably like, oh shit, I want to hear more. Just remember that this is how I'm going to grow and scale my business as a content creator. I'm offering you a little bit of a snippet so that you can see the incredible value that I'm giving my premium subscribers. And if you choose to take advantage of that, you can go to backfromtheborderline.com and join that way. But if you want to continue listening without subscribing, I will keep uploading full and complete episodes each week. This is just a bonus that you get. So enjoy the little snippet of this week's premium subscriber episode all about sex. Now, research in the past has actually linked both impulsivity and abandonment to what they call sexually risky behaviors. The clinical and diagnostic criteria for BPD inherently states that people that suffer with BPD and meet criteria for it as being what the research calls attachment-seeking individuals. And as those of us that struggle with BPD traits or emotion dysregulation or complex trauma, we have higher levels of impulsivity and feelings of abandonment, which means we're automatically more likely to engage in attachment-seeking behavior and engage in what researchers actually call something called survival sex. And survival sex is defined as the exchange of sex for money, goods, housing, or other material items needed to remain personally and socially viable. So, and survival sex is linked to many negative outcomes, including victimization, suicide attempts, and STDs. And for some, for example, in homeless populations, that have no resources and support and feel no other choice, they feel forced to engage in survival sex. And the facts are is that survival sex of any kind have negative and harmful consequences to someone's individual physical and mental health and puts them at risk for additional trauma. Now, it can be easy to get hung up on survival sex being just homeless people having sex to survive out on the streets. But what I think isn't talked about enough is how many of us with BPD willingly enter into the world of survival sex through sex work. And sex work now is much more socially acceptable and almost trendy with things like OnlyFans. And as you heard me briefly mention in my episode with Dr. Solomon, my experience with being a sugar baby and working in poker rooms in L.A., And I'll tell you, I dabbled in sex work and it was a dark, dark time in my life. I have friends who have worked in strip clubs, either as hostesses or strippers themselves. And unless you have done significant inner work and you have healed much of your own trauma, you cannot practice sex work healthily. I want to make that very clear. If you are listening to this and you have an OnlyFans account and you think that that's going to be a way that you can make money before you've healed your own trauma and have a deep understanding of your own defense mechanisms, ways of numbing, you are sorely mistaken, my friend. And I wish I would have had someone warn me. So I'm stepping in here to warn you 
because you deserve to hear all sides, not just the glittery version you see splashed all over Instagram. There are so many sex workers who make this look glamorous. I have friends that, that do. And then I talk to them and I hear about how they want to kill themselves or how they can't even look at guys in the same way anymore. Because when you are in this environment, when you're working in strip clubs, when you have an OnlyFans account, when you are doing sex work of any kind, you see the dark, dark side of human beings. And it's really hard to recover healthily from trauma and find deep and meaningful connections when you are in this world. And I go back to this definition of survival sex. And that definition is the exchange of sex for money, goods, housing, or other material items needed to remain personally and socially viable. Now, this could even just be dating a rich guy that you don't even like so that you can live in his nice house and have him pay for your lifestyle because you've convinced yourself that you are too broken and ruined to make something of yourself, right? This is why the lines of, in my opinion, sugar baby work and stuff like that, what's the difference between a sugar baby who's just making it very apparent that she's dating these rich guys for money than just a girl who is out there actively seeking out a rich guy to date on a dating app? I think they're one in the same, except the sugar baby is just a little more open about what she's doing. <laughs> you may disagree with me, but that's how I feel. And I found myself on a sugar baby site. And did I make some a lot of money doing it? Yeah. Did it feel horrible? Yeah. And the reason why it was so stressful is because I for a long time was able to be a sugar baby without ever having to be intimate with guys because I was stringing them along. When it comes to the private poker parties and karaoke rooms that I worked briefly when I was living in LA and I was between jobs, this was actually at a time that I had just had to leave a job in tech because I was sexually harassed. And what had happened at my job was my female manager said in front of a Zoom call full of about 50 other people, she had mentioned that I should dress in a different way to meetings next time to not distract with my sexy body. And this is what she said. This is how she said it is. Well, let's make sure that we select our outfits care carefully because we don't want to distract with our sexy bodies. And I was the only other woman on the call. It was a call full of men who didn't, who were in the development team that never would go to meetings. And by this point, some people may think that that's not that big of a deal, but I had just had it. I hit a breaking point and it had been so many jobs by this point that I had been subjected to sexual harassment and comments like this that something in me snapped. And right after that call, when I was at that company and I was working in Los Angeles at the time, I contacted a lawyer in New York who advertised himself as someone who would take on cases like this. And essentially, if you won, he would just take a percentage of the suit. And I ended up winning that lawsuit. And I got a settlement of around $35,000. And I wish that I 
could say that I had been responsible with that money, but I was not. I was a traumatized person and I ended up blowing a lot of that money. And then I ended up finding myself not wanting to go back into traditional work. So what did I do? I became a sugar baby and I was working these like poker rooms. And some girls that I knew in LA said, if you work these private poker parties where I could name some celebrities that I saw at these poker parties, but I don't want to get myself into any trouble, but you could make a lot of money at these parties and you'd make it in tips. And essentially you were just a cocktail waitress. You just brought the guy's drinks while they were playing poker and you were eye candy. So degrading now that I think back on it. But I hated my time doing that so much because the way I was spoken to, the way I was looked at, the way I was touched was so disgusting. It makes me shiver to think. And this kind of stuff is happening all the time. Women are even sex trafficked at these kinds of parties. And I ended up leaving that work. I remember one night I just left in the middle of a poker party and the woman who kind of like, there was this like really strict Eastern European woman who was like managing the cash. She's like, if you leave, you're not getting paid shit. And I said, that's fine. I don't want to get paid. She's like, you'll never work in this circuit again. And I said, that's also fine. (laughs) So I wanted to talk a little bit about my own involvement in this area and why I found myself there before I start talking about all of the problems with this kind of sex work. Because I'm not talking about this from a moral high ground. I'm not saying like, you should never do this. I've never done it because there are a lot of women or other people out there that judge sex workers and they've never actually done it themselves. And I think that unless you haven't done it yourself, you're in no place to judge. And I'm not judging either. I'm talking about real talk, me to you, to my listener, about some of the problems with this survival sex that I'm describing now that isn't just being homeless on the street and feeling like you have to sleep with other people to survive. This is survival sex that is trendy. And right now, that happens to be OnlyFans. That's the main thing. When I was doing this, OnlyFans wasn't even a thing yet. It was just sugar baby websites. I think this was probably back in like 2015 or something that I was doing this, 2016. And now we're in a whole new ball game with the virtual ways that we can do sex work. Part of me also feels like we've tricked ourselves into believing that because we're doing it from the comfort of our own homes, that it's safer. And I'm here to tell you that it's not. Sure, it's safer than me actually physically going to someone's house or meeting someone in person, but it's not psychologically safer. So I'm going to go through and talk about five problems that I think come up for me when it comes to this trendy survival sex that a lot of us are engaging in via things like OnlyFans. So the first problem is we like to think of ourselves as business owners and entrepreneurs when we're dabbling in sex work. But the reality is, is that if you are especially a woman listening to this, our body is a depreciating asset. And what that means is that over time, our value in this sex work space is going to decrease over time. It's fucked up, but it's true. And why? Because new people are joining these platforms like OnlyFans every single day, making us feel like we have to compete to improve our product, which is our body, right? And then that brings a whole nother aspect into 
thinking of your body as a product, which is incredibly unhealthy. So thinking about always having to improve your product is fine if you're in something like a business of making candles, right? How can I make better candles so that I can compete in the candle industry? But when the product is you, this can get really psychologically dangerous really, really fast. So what does this look like? We start investing in injections, surgeries, like me. I got breast augmentations. I was getting injections into my lips that made me look super crazy. (laughs) But I lost sight of reality. And soon you're investing more than you're actually making. Getting your nails done, getting tan, buying new outfits so that you always look different on screen, getting injections, getting surgeries. And this improvement of your quote-unquote product, your body is a full-time job. It could put you in debt. And you have no time to dedicate to real self-improvement and inner work. And I'm speaking from experience. So the second problem is that the dark side of this business is very, very dark. You think that if you're going into OnlyFans, you're going to be selling videos and a few pictures or maybe going out to dinner with a rich guy who will pay for your time. But that's not the reality of how most people on these sites make their money. OnlyFans girls make money in their DMs. They do things like selling their underwear, selling personal videos, meeting guys. Guys, the guys that are on OnlyFans specifically, they are not just going to be satisfied with pictures. That's just an entry point. That's what you don't hear spoken about. My friend who does OnlyFans, she has guys DMing her to actually pay her to send them videos of her farting on camera. It's like some guys actually want to pay to humiliate you, right? And Not only that, eventually it always get to the point where they want you to fly out to meet them in person. It will come to that. This will eventually lead to sex or something else if you allow this to happen. And if you see someone claiming to live an ultra luxurious lifestyle off of OnlyFans, they are almost 100% going far and above just posting pictures and videos to maintain that lifestyle. And for anyone But especially when you have BPD, that lifestyle can be psychologically and often physically dangerous. So at this point, you are living a luxurious lifestyle. You probably have nice bags, nice cars, this expensive apartment, and now you have to maintain those expenses and more expensive lifestyle. So this is how the deeper you become involved, the more you have to give up of yourself, the more you have to give away. And then it becomes a game of how far are you going to go to maintain that lifestyle, the upkeep. There are huge stakes at play. And you don't realize how that feels until you feel like you're having to do it to make rent. You're doing something that goes against your authentic self. It is self-abandonment. And trust me, you feel it. It makes an impact on your psyche. Now, I heard once personally through a friend of a girl who was offered $25,000 on OnlyFans to shave her head. You hear me? (laughs) So if a man can offer her $25,000 to shave her head, what do you think he'd offer her to fly out to his condo in Miami? Right? And how can you say no to that? The deeper you get, the riskier it gets. Now, problem number three is the psychological impact 
Imagine what this kind of stuff does to your psyche. The dopamine hits that you're getting when you're getting $20,000 to fly out to San Francisco or Miami or New York, it's out of control. Likes, DMs, $25,000 here, $10,000 there. What does that do? It drives home to us that relationships are transactional. It gets us addicted to this type of validation, the wrong kind of validation. It makes it very difficult to transition back into a normal, healthy relationship. It makes you feel disconnected. All right, everyone, that's it. We're going to fade out at this point. If you are dying to hear this full episode in its entirety, it is available to my premium subscribers. So go ahead and go to backfromtheborderline.com and sign up that way. You will be asked to create an ACAST account. And then once you subscribe, you will be able to unlock my premium private RSS feed where you will be alerted every time I upload bonus content. There's already about three and a half hours of bonus content in there now, including the rest of the episode that you just heard today. So don't forget to subscribe and also make sure that you go to backfromtheborderline.com slash voicemail and leave me a voicemail. I want to hear from you. Let's go. I'd love to answer more of your questions. All right. Have an amazing week. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back From The Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.